Okay, everybody, welcome back to Rediscover the Winds. This is our November podcast, and we are going to actually be doing two kind of mini podcasts in one today for you. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about turkeys and Thanksgiving in general, and then a little bit about uh, female politicians in Fremont County and um, women's suffrage in general in honor of the upcoming election. So I'm Stevie from the Du Bois Museum, and with me today we have... Hi, I'm Randy from the Lander Museum. And I'm Amy Lowry from the Riverton Museum. Okay, and I think we're going to let Randy let you start today um, okay. and do a little bit of Thanksgiving for us. Sure. Well, th- you know, it's it's Thanksgiving month, and uh, interestingly enough, and I found this very interesting because I grew up in Fremont County, and I had no idea this was part of our history until fairly recently. But Fremont County was actually at one point in the 1920s and 1930s a a big producer of turkeys. Lots of turkeys, as I found out as I started doing a little research here, which again surprised me. Uh, you know, most farmers and ranchers would have turkeys and chicken and ducks. You know, they'd have a, a little bit of everything. I know my grandparents, who were farmers in the Lander area, had virtually every animal <laughs> around that they were raising primarily for themselves. Uh, so I think most. Uh, farmers and ranchers probably had a few turkeys, a few chickens, a few lambs, a few, a little bit of everything. But in the 1920s and 30s, uh, there was actually the Fremont County Turkey Cooperative. And it was an organization created because a lot of people were raising turkeys for market and not market around here. They were shipping them out, which, again, is interesting because it's not something that you hear about much today. Again, there are a few people that have turkeys uh, that raise them, again, primarily for their own use. I know there is a... uh, a farm outside of Lander that is uh, raising turkeys, the free-range turkeys, to sell for Thanksgiving. But again, it's pretty small-scale stuff. Uh, in the in the twenties uh, and thirties, though, there were large operations raising turkeys. Um, an article in the Lander Journal from 1926 reported that there were 180 turkey producers in Fremont County. That's a lot of people raising turkeys. Uh, again, some of them were fairly small operations, but others were raising and selling upwards of 800 turkeys uh, a season. That's a lot of turkeys. It is. And a lot of that worked because the railroad was here at that time. And so they could actually ship turkeys to market. Uh, you know, 800 turkeys uh, plus whatever else was being raised around here is just too much for this market. But the uh, 1931 journal reported that Fremont County turkeys were sent to market in New York City. Uh, Again, you've got a railroad uh, at that point, which can get your produce. And it wasn't just turkeys, obviously. It was all the other things being raised. Uh, I know... uh, both in Hudson and in Lander at the railroad uh, depots, they had uh, corrals because farmers would bring their sheep or their cattle to market to get them on the train to send them to Omaha or wherever uh, to, uh, you know, produce uh, uh, meat for other markets. And clearly the turkey market was a big one. And uh, again, I was surprised to see that uh, the top price was received by the Marketing Association for the turkeys sent to New York City. Now, the top price in those days was uh, $33,000 for three shipments in uh, November, December, and January. Uh, now, that may not sound like a lot of money to us, 33000 Well, it sounds like a lot of money to me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in 19, uh, 1931, that was quite a uh, lot of money to be uh, uh, 
raising when you were selling your uh, your turkeys. Um, the uh, Turkey Association was uh, a, a, a big deal here in Fremont County. Lots of producers involved. Mm-hmm. Looks like I'm reading the, from the one newspaper article that 31 was actually one of the smaller crops, and they had uh, 11,000 pounds of prize young toms. Wow. So that's, again, quite a lot of turkey being shipped. And, and again, according to this article, it's almost all of it was going to New York City. So <laughs> Fremont County turkey is very popular in New York, obviously, at, at, in 1930 and 31. Let's see, what else have we got here about our Turkey Association? Um, It was interesting that in 19, let me see what this article is, in 1925, they were having a bad year. Uh, Turkey crop was nil, especially on Rollins Road, so the road south out of Lander. uh, A lot of farms and ranches out that direction, but that was a bad year for the turkey crop in 1925. Uh, And primarily it was because of uh, an infestation of lice, which was killing the young turkeys. But they were also having uh, significant predator issues with coyotes, coons, and any other critter that and rats getting into the turkey pens and killing off the uh, the turkeys. So I assume by the 30s they'd got that problem kind of taken care of because again the uh, production of turkeys goes up significantly in the uh, especially in 1930 and 1931 when we have some articles for it. You know by the 40s it looks like the turkey business kind of faded away. I, I assume probably competition from other markets, probably Lander has long, well, Fremont County has long, hard winters, and yeah. probably places like Nebraska and Missouri were able to produce turkeys cheaper and more of them, and probably more year-round than uh, Lander was. So, like I say, by the 40s, it seems like the Turkey Association no longer exists in Fremont County. Hmm. Uh, Again, I assume most small producers were probably still raising turkeys for themselves and also for the local market, but the 180 turkey producers in the county had shrunk considerably by, by World War II. Uh, but an interesting bit of uh, bit of Lander and uh, Fremont County history about all of the turkey producers that were in this uh, in this area. Uh, the Imes Ranch, uh, which we have a picture of here, which you can't see, but it shows a big tom turkey <laughs> walking uh, walking in front of the big barn. Uh, was a major producer in the Lander area, and this picture is from 1900. Uh, there's an ad also from uh, 1900 from the Noble Field Lumber Company uh, advertising, buy your turkey pen materials here. We, you know, we can provide you with all of the uh, chicken wire and wood and everything that you will need, and also the feed, because they were selling feed at that time at the lumber yard too. Uh, for your poultry, because uh, it's a way, as they say in the news, uh, in the ad here, turkeys pay a profit. So turkey business was a big deal. Interesting. Yeah. I would say out of all the farmers that I could be, I would not want to be a turkey farmer. <laughs> I, turkeys are just so mean. Well, at least you know, wild ones. Yeah, and, and I, I've I've heard lots of different stories about turkeys, uh, including that they're not very intelligent. But I've really? also, I, uh, I've hmm. I've heard that now. But I think I really think that's kind of a. a folktale because I, I do know a couple of people that raise turkeys in the Lander area. Again, very small, primarily for their own consumption. And they say that turkeys are very smart and uh, if you get to know the turkey, <laughs> they're <laughs> their pretty friendly. Their personality yeah, comes out. They're pretty friendly. Now again, I never had a turkey personally. My I By the time I came along, my grandparents weren't they still had ducks and chickens, I remember that, but I don't remember any turkeys at okay. my grandparents' place. Okay. 
I've just been chased by more turkeys than I care to <laughs> talk about running cross country in college oh. in, in northern New York. Interesting. Wild turkeys everywhere. Well, and again, you know, we don't really have wild turkeys around here. Uh, eastern Wyoming has some. They're 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 and they but they were introduced. They right. weren't native to Wyoming. They were introduced from the Midwest. Uh, but I don't think we have any around the western part of Wyoming. I just think the winters are too tough mm. for those uh, for those birds to to manage to survive here. So so can't speak from personal experience. Chickens can be pretty ornery. I have discovered. I guess. Yes, they can. Uh, uh, when you're uh, you know especially when you're trying to catch one. Uh, but again, you know one of the things about our area, agriculture is still a huge deal, uh, and a lot of different things. You know, we had a conversation. Last month about the giant apple production. Yeah, uh, back in September. Back in I guess September we had our podcast about mostly about apples, which were again a kind of nobody really knows about anymore. But at the time was a huge, huge per, uh, deal around here, uh, primarily the Lander Valley uh, for the apples. So there's lots of little agricultural things that people tried uh, in this area, some more successful than others. But again, for a time, Lander and Riverton and this area was a big turkey hub. Right. So, right. interesting. Yeah, it is. Are you guys going to be eating turkey for Thanksgiving? Are you turkey fans? <laughs> I, uh, I no. like, I personally like... Yeah, me either, like, so oh, I, oh. I eat the... <laughs> I personally find, I don't eat it very often, but at Thanksgiving, yeah, typically. Yes, all right. Yeah. So... Yeah, my family tradition was always to have chicken on Thanksgiving instead mm. of turkey, but okay. uh, I think it's because some of my family members thought that turkey was especially dry, so they didn't mm. enjoy it so much. Wow. Mm. Well, like everything, I guess it's how you cook it. Uh, and while we're talking about Thanksgiving, <laughs> I did want to mention... The lost tradition of... Uh, uh, the lost tradition of Thanksgiving cards. As I was going through the Lander Museum's collection of Thanksgiving stuff, uh, I came across many, many... Uh, greeting cards uh, that were Thanksgiving-based uh, or Thanksgiving greeting cards, which are is interesting because I really didn't know that you sent cards out for Thanksgiving. <laughs> but apparently, in, again, primarily the early 20th century, at least these cards mostly date from 1900 to 1910, at least the ones in our collection, uh, there's lots of turkey cards. Uh, there's one with this young lady she's saying, looks like she's saying a prayer over her empty plate <laughs> and it says thanksgiving greetings at the bottom and there's a big turkey on one side uh, and then there's another one with a young boy sitting on a pumpkin and a big tom turkey sitting in front of him and it says hearty thanksgiving greetings so i thought that was interesting that it seems to be a lost tradition as stevie just mentioned that you know sending out thanksgiving cards cuz i don't think i've ever sent or received a thanksgiving Neither card have I. In, in my life but again at one point people clearly at least in this area were sending out thanksgiving cards yeah so. if anybody who's listening to us has sent or received a Thanksgiving card, let us know, because Randy is really, he was really <laughs> surprised by this. <laughs> yeah, I, I really was. I mean, you know, we've got lots of Valentine's cards. We've got lots of Christmas cards in our collection. We've got, But then I came across all of these Thanksgiving cards, and I thought, huh, this is interesting, because people still send out Valentine's cards and Christmas yes. cards. But again, the, ter- the Thanksgiving cards seems to be a, not all a thing. by the wayside somehow, and yeah. I'm not sure why. Well, I guess everybody you want to see is coming to your house to eat turkey. Or chicken, in Amy's case. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, and I, what's your tradition, Stevie? Oh, we make the turkey. My family likes it, but I am in Thanksgiving just for the side dishes. Ah, um, okay. Stuffing and sweet potatoes, and that's 
some cranberry sauce, homemade, not from a can. Mm-hmm. That's all I really want to oh, eat. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. I mean, the side dishes are are, are equally good. I, I'm I'm with you on that. Although, again, a little turkey doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. So. Well, that was pretty interesting. I'm glad now we know a little bit about turkeys. Everyone can <laughs> think about the great Wyoming turkey industry while you're sitting around your table for That's Thanksgiving right. dinner. Well, and, and like I say, there are a few producers in the county that do raise uh, free-range turkeys, if you're into the free-range taste. Uh, they are out there, so I would certainly recommend, if you are interested, to uh, throw mm. them some business because they're they're producing still. Right. Uh, it's, not a, like I say, not as big as it was, but still out there. Sweet. Thanks, Randy. Um, So I think we're going to switch gears a little tiny bit here now, and in honor of the election that probably at this point has already taken place, um, we're going to talk a little bit at first about women's suffrage in Wyoming in general, and then um, each of us will give you a little bit of information on some female politicians that our towns have had. Um, But for those of you who don't know, uh, Wyoming was the first place to pass uh, women's suffrage, full women's suffrage, um, in 1869. And um, it came about in kind of a roundabout way. The man who brought the bill for women's suffrage in front of the Wyoming um, Congress or the Wyoming state government was a man named William Bright of South Pass City. And he um, had moved to South Pass City. He wanted to start a business there, had his family there, and he wasn't necessarily all that happy that Congress had passed the 14th and 15th Amendments. And uh, the 14th Amendment said that former slaves were now American citizens, and the 15th Amendment said that suffrage could not be denied based on your skin color or your race. Um, And for for some people, this was a hard pill to swallow. Um, And these were bills passed by the, at that time, Republican Party. Um, And in 1868, President Grant was elected president as a Republican, and Because of that, he elected all sorts of Republicans to run the new Wyoming Territory. And some people, including William Bright, again, not so happy about this. So what they, uh, they got together to try to see what they could do to maybe tamp this Republican grab for Wyoming down a little bit. Newly appointed government of Wyoming Territory, one of the men in charge was Attorney General Joseph A. Carey, and he had issued an opinion pretty much right after he got into office that said Wyoming Territory, that in Wyoming Territory, no one could be denied the vote based on their race. And a lot of people saw this as a very blatant grab to get the black Americans in Wyoming Territory to vote Republican. Um, and funnily enough, in, 18, in the 1869 election, after uh, black Americans were given the right to vote in Wyoming, the Democrats won hands down across the board on everything. Um, And William Bright was elected the president of the council. The council is essentially the state senate, so he would have been head of the senate. And immediately the new senate or the new council um, passed three bills. One allowed women to sit in the same areas where the lawmaker sat, which was a huge move at the time. Female teachers had to be paid the same as male teachers, which again, huge deal at the time. And finally, married women were allowed to keep their own property separate from their husbands. And Really, the Democratic Party wanted to do this because they wanted to kind of ensure that they would have support from women. 
the Republican Party prior to the Civil War had made female suffrage part of their ticket. But then because of the Civil War and the aftermath, they sort of pushed women to the back burner and decided that they were going to really put all their efforts into enfranchising African-Americans or former slaves. Um, so women's suffrage was not necessarily a new idea, but there were a lot of women who felt kind of betrayed by the Republican Party and the direction that they went in. So the Democrats decided they can pass these three bills, they can make women really happy, and this was going to be awesome because it was going to bring in good publicity because Wyoming territory at that time desperately needed new settlers. There were six men for every one woman, <laughs> which meant that there were not a lot of families, there were not a lot of children, um, there, were not a lot of, there was not a lot of population growth being generated from citizens of Wyoming. Um, Wyoming had a reputation for being a kind of lawless cowboy land, so they weren't necessarily generating a lot of interest. Um, they also thought that by passing um, these bills, they could then bring the idea of women's suffrage um, up and pass a bill for that. And the wyominghistory.org website has a really interesting article um, about this topic that I suggest everyone reads, um, where it's, it's titled something along the lines of women's suffrage, the right cause for the wrong reasons. So the Democrats now have passed these bills. They think they have women's support. They want to enfranchise women, not because they believe that women should be given the right to vote, but because they don't want um, people of color at that time, uh, there was a large Chinese population in Wyoming working on the railroads, and they don't want um, blacks voting. Um, they don't want to see former slaves given the right to vote. And in the opinion of people like William Bright, if these people um, could be given the right to vote, well, then a white woman, specifically they were talking about enfranchising white women, um, had to be better. So they threw their support against enfranchising white women because white women would be able to make much better decisions than people of color. Um, they thought that if they brought this bill to the Republican governor, they would have an awesome chance to embarrass him. They figured they would uh, vote this bill, he would veto it, and then they would be able to say, well, we thought you wanted to enfranchise Americans, we thought you stood with women, and that they'd be able to knock him down a peg or two. Um, surprisingly, the bill passed and the governor did not veto it at the time. So in De on December 10th, 1869, women were given the right to vote in Wyoming. Um, the very first election where women could vote was in 19 or in 1870, excuse me. And the Democrats were really disgusted that so many women had chosen chosen to not vote for them, but instead voted for the Democrats. Um, the very same people who chose not to enfranchise them in the beginning and instead um, worked to give the vote to the f former slaves. Um, so the newly democrat the newly um, the newly democratic territorial government ironically tried to overturn the vote for women because they felt women should not be given the vote it almost um it almost passed to overturn the law so it went um before the governor the governor vetoed it it went back to the state senate and let um and house they overturned the veto almost they lost by one vote um they almost overturned the veto and they weren't successful, and the law to give women the right to vote in Wyoming was never challenged again. So um, it kind of has a more complicated past than some people think. Usually it's just whittled down to 
we needed more people to vote. Um, <laughs> who else can we enfranchise in the state of Wyoming? It had to be women, but there were some complicated reasons behind why women were given the right to vote, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, it does have a little bit of a racist history, unfortunately, as many things do. But um, we can say we did something good, even if it was for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, remember, this is Wyoming territory, too, at this right. point. It isn't a state yet. Statehood doesn't come till 1890. So uh, uh, I, think it, I think it's actually, in a way, more interesting that the territory made this decision and with, right. the, with the eye on, you know, maybe this will help us attain statehood. It still took a while, but right. that was one of the calculations as well. So we get our population up because women and families will move to Wyoming and that'll help us attain statehood. Right. So lots, as with almost everything that happens in history. Oh, so little, many ulterior yeah, motives. There's <laughs> lots of stuff under the surface that, you know, you don't always necessarily hear about. Uh, and Wyoming is justifiably proud of the fact that we were the first territory slash state to, to do this. But as Stevie just explained, there's a lot a lot going on under the surface in addition. Yeah, so. and, and the politics behind um, all, all of this, you know, secret backroom meetings and everything are is really interesting. Um, and again, if anybody is interested in this topic more, I really suggest checking out the wyominghistory.org um, website. They've got a really good and thorough list of um, references for you to read and um, a really great article that goes into a lot more depth about why exactly, you know, the territorial Congress, the territorial government was voting the way it was voting and who they were making deals with. So a lot going on. Oh, yeah. So so that led to so women being able to vote meant that women could run for office eventually. And Wyoming has a long history of women in political office. Um, the first female governor in the whole nation came from Wyoming. Her name was Nellie Taylor Ross. Um, she became governor after her husband died. And um, even in 1924, and even though she lost her re-election bid in 1926, she was elected by President uh, Roosevelt to become the director of the Bureau of the U.S. Mint in 1933. And she served in that position for 20 years. I think that's still the longest serving uh, director of the U.S. Mint. Mm. Um, but I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, Wyoming had a ton of other firsts. Um, the first female office holder um, was Esther Morris. She was elected right after women were given the right to vote in 1870. She was the first woman to um, be appointed to the position of Justice of the Peace in Wyoming. And that was up at South Pass City. Yep. Uh, again, which at the time was really the city. The lander didn't exist yet. Uh, Riverton didn't exist yet. Dubois didn't exist yet. South Pass and Atlantic City and the mining district was where the population was. So, uh, and a pretty rough bunch of folks too. So it's interesting that uh, she was able to, and, and was a well-respected justice of the peace, not yeah. just, you know, well, let's give the, give her the job. She was actually well-respected and well-liked and, uh, and did a good job according to any account I've ever read. So, yeah. And that, again, that's got to be tough in a mining town <laughs> uh, with all those rough miners uh, tr trying to get away with things up there. Oh, I oh, know. For sure. <laughs> and uh, Wyoming's first female uh, mayor was actually the second female mayor in all of the U.S. Um, her name was Susan Whistler. Weisler? Does anyone know? 
Don't know. Okay. Susan Whistler, um, she was um, elected in, she was elected via a write-in campaign, actually, funnily enough, defeating the man who had been running for his fifth consecutive term in on May 14th, 1912. And um, she served three terms acting as the newspaper described her without fear or favor and had moderate success cleaning up local saloons and gambling halls. And all while she continued to run her own malinery and dry goods store. And what town was? She was in Dayton, Dayton, Dayton Wyoming. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. So on, prior to her, the, the first mayor in the, in the whole country actually came from Utah in 19, 19- so she only um, was she was the second in 1912. So just barely was beat out for first. Okay, that's <laughs> interesting because Dayton's gotten much. I don't know what the population of Dayton was then, but it's a small town now in Wyoming. So I don't think it was very big even hmm. back then. But okay. yeah, interesting. But yeah, and then that kind of brings us up to the present. So what what can you guys tell us about some? Local female politicians in your own towns. Well, um, Riverton has had one female mayor, and her name was Willa Wales Corbett. And she was born in Cheyenne on May 24th, 1888. And in 1948, she moved to Riverton to teach mathematics at Riverton High School. And after her retirement from teaching, she ran for and was elected mayor of Riverton in 1955. Um, And... She would be go on to be reelected three more times and serve as mayor of Riverton for the next eight years. And during Willa's tenure of service in Riverton, um, it encompassed some of Riverton's most um, important period of growth, which was the city's uranium boom. And she was at the helm when Riverton made a lot of improvements to the city, including Uh, Paving all the streets, laying copper pipe water service systems, um, constructing a new service system, and also substantially reducing the municipal debt. Um, An article from the Casper Junior College uh, Chinook by Paul Harvey, um, he gave his opinion um, of what was happening in Riverton in 1961 when he went to visit. Um, He said that... um, Most every street in Riverton had curb, gutter, storm drainage, and asphalt surfacing. This was a big undertaking for a town of 7,000 people, but it was all done without five cents worth of government money. The projects were financed by sale of bonds, and already, within five years, 74.9% of these bonds have been repaid. Yet these improvements were only the beginning. Next, Mayor Corbett's leadership inspired the city's purchase of 240 acres for $10,000, for a new city park, she constructed fireproof maintenance shop and yard for $45,000, remodeled and enlarged the airport terminal building, rebuilt, refenced, and resurfaced the ramp, constructed new police building for $60,000, and bought $14,000 uh, street sweep, uh, <laughs> bought a $14,000 street sweeper and $11,000 garbage packer truck. And meanwhile, during all this spending, the city was paying $301,000 in bonds and reducing taxes. And later, after being the mayor of Riverton, uh, Willow Wells Corbett um, went on to run in 1964 for a Wyoming state Senate seat, and she was elected and served her term in 1965. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, well, Du Bois has maybe a 
a long history of women voting? I don't know. So there is a town photo that we have um, that's that on the back says it's a photo of the first election in Du Bois for public office, and it's dated 1895. And there are um, a few women in the far right-hand side of the photo kind of milling around the group. Um, so women were at least allowed at the polling place, if nothing else, but that doesn't really tell us if they were able to cast a vote or not. Um, but it is interesting nonetheless. And uh, our first female mayor um, that we know for sure was elected into office was Nell Bovenmeyer. Um, she was elected June 1st, 1959. Um, she was the wife of a local doctor and herself was a nurse by profession. Um, from what I've read, the council men, emphasis on men around her, generally did not really like her ideas. And even though she was supported by a lot of the town, um, she resigned in April of 1960, so she did not serve for very long. Um, but she was Du Bois's first uh, female mayor. And then we had uh, Twyla Blakeman. She served as mayor of Du Bois uh, three terms. She was elected in 2010 and then lost her fourth re-election bid in 2018. Well, and Lander has, has two female mayors, and uh, uh, one in the 1960s, uh, Hazel Spriggs, was elected. I don't have the exact dates of her uh, term, uh, but Hazel w uh, saw Lander uh, grow significantly during her term as mayor because of the U.S. Steel Iron Ore Mine, which came in at that time in the late 50s and early 60s and uh, really basically doubled the size of Lander. Mm. Uh, and Hazel was, again, a well-respected mayor. Uh, one of her uh, signature accomplishments that I know I did an interview with her many years ago, uh, but one of the things she was most proud of was uh, create, helping create Sinks Canyon State Park, really? which at that point was not a state park. It was partially owned by the city, partially the canyon was owned by the BLM, partially owned by the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, and Hazel was one of the figures, along with Kurt Meyer, who was a Fremont County legislator, who uh, uh, came up kind of with the idea that this should be a park and... Uh, kind of got the ball rolling, and uh, the city had to be involved in it since they owned the much of the canyon at that point. So that I remember her telling me that that was one of her really proud accomplishments, uh, among many. She was, again, a well-respected leader of Lander. And then in the 1980s, another lady was elected uh, mayor of Lander, Joyce Jansa, uh, who, again, oversaw just kind of the opposite. Uh, the U.S. Steel Mine was closing at during her term as mayor, so Lander was going through some pretty significant changes in the 1980s because of that, and Joyce led the community uh, in, in that tumultuous time as the economy was shrinking and lots of changes were happening in the community. Um, Fremont County has also sent a large number of women to the county commission mm. uh, over the years. Uh, we currently have one female county commissioner, uh, but again, over the course of the commission's life, I know there have been at least several from different parts of the county, including one lady from Shoshone. Uh, I know at least one Riverton county commissioner uh, was female. So uh, uh, on the county level, between the mayors and the county commission, we've had uh, quite a number of oh, yeah. female uh, legislators, uh, and then lots of, lots and lots of county officers, the assessors and the treasurers and uh, many of those elected offices have been run by uh, women and run very successfully. Yeah, so. I mean, it's been, I, 
it's been interesting to research all of this. I did come across one um, article from the Dubois Courier that <laughs> says it's it's really like a full page advertisement, and the headline is "A Woman for President" <laughs> with many question marks after that. Um, and it says, 20 years ago, the average American would have regarded it as highly improbable that the voters of a sovereign state would ever elect a woman governor. Yet, out of great open spaces of the West, where men are men and women are governors, <laughs> Mrs. Miriam Ferguson of Texas and Mrs. Nellie Taylor Ross of Wyoming proved that it wasn't so improbable after all. <laughs> and the article goes on to list all of the achievements of many women from across the country who had held office by this time, um, saying that really a woman uh, to run for vice president with, um, they, they suggest Mrs. Woodrow Wilson, um, maybe might not be a bad idea. So I think it's it's pretty great to see that women are in office. Yep. Sure. All right. Well, I think that concludes everything we're going to talk to you guys about this month. I hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving and enjoys or maybe does not enjoy their turkey. <laughs> um, but now at least you know some fun facts about it. Uh, anything happening at... Your, our museums. I know over in Dubois, November is a quiet month for us, so just stop by and, and check us out, but we don't have any programs coming up. Yeah, Lander is, we're actually going to be opening a new uh, art exhibit in early November. Uh, again, this podcast may come out right around that time. We haven't set an exact date, but we're shooting for the first week of uh, of November for opening our exhibit on the artwork of Joe Shirley, mm. who was a Montana artist who uh, painted uh, portraits of many Native Americans throughout the West and spent a fair amount of time on the Wind River Reservation here in Fremont County and uh, painted many Arapaho and Shoshone tribal members. And the uh, artwork is uh, belongs to the uh, Montana State Historical Society, but they have are loaning it to us for the coming year to exhibit. And again, the local connection is really neat. Uh, he has many, many paintings of Montana tribal members, and we're bringing a few of those down, but okay. not very many. We're focusing primarily on the Shoshone and Arapaho that he painted. Um, and we're excited about it. It's a really interesting exhibit. It's replacing our ledger art exhibit, which is coming down now. Actually, it's almost all down. But the... Uh, the Joe Shirley artwork, and it's, he's an artist I wasn't aware of until actually uh, someone from Lander had uh, worked with the Montana State Historical Society on a different project, and they saw the artwork, and they thought this might be a neat thing to bring down to mm. Fremont County. So that's our big, no really our only November event, uh, but uh, we encourage people. We're not going to have a, we traditionally do a big gala opening for our art exhibits, Obviously, this year things have changed, so we're right. not going to have a you know an event per se. But the artwork will be up from this November through uh, November of 2021, and we really encourage people to come out and see it. It's it's really interesting work. He's a, quite a fascinating painter, uh, and the portraits aren't just of tribal leaders; they're of everyday people too, mm. which is pretty neat. That you know he's he's painting. He paints a few chiefs and you know some of that too. But you get to kind of a glimpse at some of the other people on the reservation too which is kind of cool so that's our big november our big november event hmm. yeah and the riverton museum also is having a quiet november we don't have any <laughs> events scheduled um but we do encourage you to stop by and say hi uh so yeah that's all we have okay great um thanks for listening everyone and we will see you again or well 
I guess we don't actually do anything with you. you you'll hear us um, again next month. Before we go, we just want to thank our sponsor, Mick Pryor, a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Whether you're planning for retirement, saving for college, or just trying to protect the financial future of the ones you care for the most, work with Mick to develop specific strategies to help you achieve your goals. He can also help monitor your progress to make sure you stay on track and determine if any adjustments need to be made.